0: And although the Grinch, played by Jim Carrey, really scared Cara whenever she was little, we used to watch it every year as a family because sometimes you got to be cruel to be kind. <laughs> uh, but the Grinch had a problem, and here's how the problem is described, that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. Now, I don't want to spoil the movie if you haven't seen it, but a major change occurs The Grinch changes mainly because a little girl called Cindy Lou decided to treat the Grinch differently, and she reached out to him, and she showed him love and friendship. But here's how the change in the Grinch is recorded. Well, in Hooville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day, and then the true meaning of Christmas came through, and the Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches plus two. I love it. I actually watched it last night again. I am that sad. On DVD. It's brilliant. But this morning, as a part of our Advent Conspiracy series, we're going to look at the fourth practice, the fourth value, which is love all. And I don't know about you, but I'm a bit like the Grinch. My heart could use a little expanding. I need an increased capacity to love. And if that's going to happen, I need God's help. And I also need other people to kind of model something differently for me. Because I kind of get inspired by people who live alternative lives, who show love. If you haven't been with us uh, for the past couple of weeks, or even if you have, here's a a quick summary of the story so far. We as individuals and as a church recognize that that it's not easy to maintain focus at this time of year that the true meaning of christmas can quickly get lost or certainly it gets downgraded in amongst everything else that screams for our attention and so we have introduced and we have invited everyone into a conspiracy an advent conspiracy where together we conspire or we plot to kind of approach and do christmas differently. And as or if we pick up this challenge, we're highlighting four things you could do, and Nigel prayed about these. We want to say, listen, let's worship fully, spend less, give more, and then love all. We have looked at the first three, and today we come to the last one. And as we kind of begin to consider the importance of this this practice and this value, I want to take us right back again to the first Christmas. Because the reason Jesus came, the reason that unto us a child has been born, as Nigel read at the start of the service, the reason is because of God's outrageously extravagant love. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son. But let's rewind it right back. You see, God created this world out of an overflow of love. In his image, he created us to experience and demonstrate love to him, to each other, and to his creation. But we messed up. Yet, even following man's Cosmic failure and sin, God continued to love. In fact, the whole Bible reveals a God who loved and kept loving despite the fact that that love was continually thrown back in his face. But God didn't give up. God couldn't stop loving those who wouldn't love him because, after all, God is love. And that a monumental moment in history, the first Christmas, In a kind of most unlikely event, out of the overflow of his love, God sent Jesus as an expression, as a demonstration of his love to all and for all. Here's how the Apostle John puts it in 1 John 4. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent Jesus. Here's how God showed it. Here's how God proved it. Here's how God demonstrated his love for us. He sent Jesus. Or, as the hymn we sometimes sing at this time of year declares, love came down at Christmas. Love, all lovely, love divine. Love was born at Christmas. And so, at the heart of Advent is love. Right at the heart. And the most appropriate response to the birth of Jesus, the gift of love, love in the flesh, love incarnate. The most appropriate response to the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, is love. It's the most appropriate response to all of those. We must now love because God first loved us. And we've got to love all. And Christmas not only portrays the reality of love, it remains, it inspires and encourages us to love. And as we begin to tease this out and, and think about our need to love and our need or my need for an enlarged heart, because it's a few sizes too small. Let me introduce this uh, triangle which I hope is going to be a useful visual aid. Now, whenever we we say love all, we immediately think of others. And we are going to concentrate on our love for others in a moment. But as the greatest commandment begins, we need to start, if you like, with loving God. Love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. You see, our love for God needs to flow upward. Our love relationship with God that was made possible because love came down at Christmas is so important. This upward dimension to our love. And out of that and because of that, We need to then reflect our love in our worshipping, in our praying, in our meeting together, in our serving, in our obedience, in our loving of others, etc. But loving God, this upward dimension, loving God with our entire being, with everything we have got, that is critical. That has got to be our story. Before our love can flow anywhere else in a sense, we have got to love God passionately. And we can love him because he first loved us. And Christmas is all about celebrating the fact. That he showed his love. Among us by sending Jesus. And so we can love. We can be in this love relationship with God. So it's got to start. With the up dimension. But as we all know. The greatest commandment doesn't end there. There's an and. And love. And love your neighbor as yourself. We've got to love others. And I know i said this before, but, but for me, this is where it gets tough. This is where the challenge often lies. You see, the command to love God is at times far easier, far more doable compared to the challenge to love others, especially those who are unlovely especially those who are unlovable, especially those who wind you up and do your head in. Peanuts featured two weeks ago. I'm going to quote Linus again, and this is brilliant. I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. (laughs) And that's uncomfortably true, isn't it? And as we think about people... Those others, the all that we're called to love. I do want to talk about the in and the out dimension of our love. Up in out. Now in in is the kind of in here aspect to our love. It's the love we have for one another in the church, in this church. On one occasion, Jesus gave his disciples and therefore gave us a new commandment that is so fundamentally important because it speaks volumes. The new commandment that Jesus gives communicates something very powerful. We've looked at this before. But here's what Jesus said. A new command I give you Love one another. Here's the bet. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. It's what Francis Schaeffer, and I've said this before, it's what Francis Schaeffer describes as the ultimate apologetic. Here's how a watching world knows who we are and whose we are. The Apostle Peter. Writing to Christian says, Above all, love each other deeply. And so as we think about loving other people this Christmas, can I encourage you to take a look around this morning? Because in a sense, it's got to start in here. It's got to start in here. If we as Christians don't love one another... If we don't aim for that, do you know something? We are going to transmit, we are going to send out all kinds of confusing, contradictory signals if we don't love each other. Almost two years ago, we dedicated an entire Sunday morning series to looking at what this actually means in practice. Because again, you can say, and I know I'm guilty of this sometimes, but you can say things like, let's love one another. Okay, let's just do it. But what does that mean? What does that look like? Actually, what does that look like in the everyday? Well, we dedicated a whole series to looking at the New Testament one another's, which actually (laughs) translates love from a vague sentiment into concrete action. Because remember, the kind of love that we're talking about this morning is more than a feeling. It's a love that's revealed. It's a love that's demonstrated. It's a love that's exhibited. It's a love that's proved. It's a love with boots on. It's active love. Can anybody remember? Please. Can anybody remember some of the one another's? Not love, okay? Love is the kind of umbrella, but there was lots of one another's we looked at. Forbear with, For with one another. Thank you. Not even sure you were here during that series, but thank you. <laughs> Bless your heart. Yes, anyone else? Encourage one another. Forgive one another. Bear one another's burdens. Confess your, Confess your sins to one another. Serve one another. Brilliant, great. I'm encouraged, ha <laughs> Right, here it is. Serve one another, encourage one. Teach and admonish one another. Confess your sins to other. Pray for one another. Forgive one another. Comfort one another. Be kind to one another. Accept one another. Do you know, as Christians, we are, and, and can I, I can't stress this strongly, we're commanded to do this. It's a new commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. Commanded. And it's by this that a watching world will know who we are. And whose we are. And so see this Christmas. Let's make sure our hearts aren't shrinking. Let's make sure they're growing towards one another. And so as you look around this morning. Is there someone here you need to say sorry to? Is there someone here you need to forgive? Is there someone here you need to pray for? Is there someone here you need to encourage? Is there someone here you need to serve? Because this is what it looks like to love one another. I'm not wanting to embarrass anyone or put anyone on a pedestal, but I'm aware that on Christmas Day this year, some families are having a meal together and are inviting others to join them who might be on their own for Christmas. You know, that for me is tangible love. That's love with boots on. Love all. Love up. Love in. Then out. But just before I leave, in. I want to make one more comment. Obviously, it's important to love one another within a local church context and family. And that's hard. That can be hard. But you know some We've also got to love those within the wider family of God. Those in other Christian churches and denominations and groups. Those who share our faith. Those who worship God. Those who seek to follow Jesus. But they express it differently. And they hold alternative views on certain theological issues and practices. But it's so important that as we think about loving one another, this inward dimension, that we remember broad church, that we remember wide church, that we remember capital C church. And so how we relate to, how we speak about, how we refer to, how we engage with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are down the road, who are around the corner, who are across this country and beyond is really, really important. Let me be honest for a moment. Whenever certain churches or reasonably high-profile Christians hit the headlines, I find it heartbreaking to listen or read as other churches and Christians weigh in rather negatively and heavily with critical comments, or they endorse other people's critical and harsh comments or articles or posts or tweets. And it happens. And recently, there have been a few pretty well-known and key Christians who have made mistakes. Or apparently have gone a little too out there in their thinking and practice. And I'm not suggesting that we should never have an opinion or engage critically with their situation and their thinking and their writing and their decisions. But I find it very sad whenever the tone of the comments and the attitude of the reactions from other Christians screams of judgment and condemnation. Jesus has given us a new commandment. To love one another. But how did Jesus tell us to love one another? As he has loved us. And that leaves little or no room for me for negative, harsh, critical, judgmental comments about another Christian. That's my rant over. (laughs) But let's Get into this third dimension. Up, in, out. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responded to a question. Well, hold on, Jesus. Who's that referring to? Who do you mean by my neighbor? And we all know that Jesus then went on. To tell the story or the parable of the good Samaritan. In other words, what Jesus was saying is your neighbor is about loving the other. It's about the person who's very different to you, the person who doesn't share your faith, the person who doesn't come from your kind of background. And to love, said Jesus, is to show mercy. That's what it means. Means to care, to reach out to. Don't avoid, don't ignore, don't walk past. And as we think about what it means to love all this Christmas, it, yes, it includes those we know who are not yet Christians, but it includes those who we don't know, the stranger. I read recently how according to the former chief rabbi of Great Britain, Jonathan Sachs, he said this. The Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, in one verse commands, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but in no fewer than 36 places commands us to love the stranger. And he adds the supreme religious challenge is to see God's image in the one who is not in our image. To love all. To love the stranger, to actively reach out and welcome when given an opportunity. Yes, it's a challenge. Of course it's a challenge. But you know something? It's also a privilege because when we do it, we reflect the heart of God and the teaching of Jesus. And again, I just this week in Windsor, it's a grounded illustration and example. But this week in Windsor, I know that a number of international students, strangers if you like, are being welcomed into a number of homes, a number of your homes, to share a Christmas meal. And if you want to discover more about iHost, which is our program here at Windsor, that gives people an opportunity to host a stranger, in this case, an international student, then speak to Sandra Boone or Carolyn Young. So love all. Out, which means love your neighbour, which means love the stranger, but it goes further deeper. And actually in the far more uncomfortable territory. Because in a command that's found in no other religion, Jesus bids us to love our outright adversaries. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, taught Jesus rather explicitly in his so called Sermon on the Mount. Now, if loving the other, if loving your neighbour, if loving the stranger is hard, this is a nightmare. But it is possible. And it is essential. Let me give you a few examples. Whenever Martin Luther King Jr. was thrown into jail after being arrested during the Montgomery bus boycott, he wrote this. To our most bitter enemies we say, do what you will and we shall continue to love you. Throw us into jail and we shall still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children and we shall still love you. That's incredible. What about Stephen in Acts 7, the first Christian martyr? Who as his enemies hurled stones at him. Prayed, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. I mean, that is love in extreme conditions. Now, we may not have to face those kind of enemies or those intense situations, but we will have adversaries. We will have those who are against us, or who I'll guarantee are against what we stand for and what we believe. We will. And the challenge again is, how do we respond to people who don't believe what we believe? How do we respond to people who actually believe and behave very differently from what we believe? I read recently about uh, Francis Collins the well-known Christian scientist who has engaged in a number of public debates with people like Richard Dawkins and the late Christopher Hitchens, who are two pretty vocal militant atheists, or actually, as the late Christopher Hitchens described himself, as an anti-theist. As a result of Collins' Christianity, he wasn't always treated particularly well within the scientific fraternity. On one occasion, Collins was actually nominated for a key role, a key position Uh, within America. And one person complained, I don't want American science to be represented by a clown. And he was saying that because here was a Christian scientist who was a Christian. He was a scientist who was a Christian. But over time, Collins has won over many of his critics. And one person has said this about him. The thing that impresses me more than many of his achievements, and Collins has achieved some incredible things. Many of you will know this. But the one thing that impresses me more than many of his achievements is how he treats his opponents. On periodic visits to Oxford, he has tea with Richard Dawkins. And whenever Collins learned that Hitchens had cancer, he called to offer help, and he spent many hours with Hitchens and his family. Christopher Hitchens, who wrote, God is not great, lived with cancer for a year and a half. And he writes in Vanity Fair about the number of hateful messages he received from Christians during the time he suffered from cancer. And in one of those messages, it said, I rejoice that you have got cancer in the one part of your body you used for blasphemy. Written by a Christian. Yet, you know, Hitchens, as he responded to that, in one of his last columns that he wrote before he died, he took the time to pay tribute to Francis Collins. And he said this, Francis Collins is one of the greatest living Americans, our most selfless Christian physician. You see, Collins showed love to his opponents and it spoke volumes. How do we speak about people who come from a very different place than we come from? The anti-theists, the new atheists, the militant gay activists. How do we speak about those kind of people? Jesus teaches us to love our enemies. Which, as I've said, it's more than a challenge, it's it's a command. And it's exceedingly difficult. And as one early church father said, loving your enemies is the very highest summit of self-control. Loving your neighbour is hard, loving your enemy. And praying for those who give you hard times. It's unnatural. That's that's actually what it is. It's unnatural supernatural. And Jesus exemplified this whenever he was being hung on a cross and he said, Father, forgive them. And he calls and he commands his followers to make similar choices. And love is a choice. It's an act of the will. And as I say, you don't feel like loving your enemy, but choosing to do it is possible. Why? Because of Jesus. And because his spirit lives within those of us who have given our lives over to Jesus. And the fruit of the spirit is, as he lives in us, and as he produces this fruit within us, the fruit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And all of those things ultimately are expressions of love that we show to one another, to our neighbor, to the stranger, to our enemy. To love all this Christmas is the challenge. And so here is, if you like, there's Christopher Hitchens, the late Christopher Hitchens. Here is our love triangle of a very different sort. Got to love God with all my heart, soul, strength, mind. And because of God's love for me, I am then able. My love can then flow in to one another. Out, neighbour, stranger, enemy. If your heart needs to expand a little, let me give you a moment's just quietness, where you can ask God, God, this Christmas, as I remember and reflect on Your incredible, outrageously extravagant love for me in sending Jesus. Help me now to love you with all of God, to love those around me, and to love beyond these walls. Take a moment and pray. And in the quietness, let me encourage you to begin preparing your heart to eat and drink these tangible reminders. Of God's expression of love to us in Jesus, who didn't just come, but who laid down his life in order that we could live and love. And so as we approach your table, God I ask you to again search our hearts enlarge our hearts towards you and towards one another